Sunday, 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 right here on twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media. It's the Plex, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific and on into red light. We have the worst news in the week that no one else will cover. The Plex has it all. Conspiracy, right-wing nut jobs, Christian extremism, and Madison Star Moon. Tune in every Sunday at 7 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media and find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is bad. All the things are bad. There are no good things. I'm white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their purses when they're in a room alone with me. And I can drive for any neighborhood I please. At any hour, and the police don't do a thing. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I got everything I need. I'm a guy getting paid more than a girl with a degree. And I can walk down the streets after dark, no one wants to rape me. And I can get a girl pregnant and just as easily flee. Just like my straight white male dad did to me. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I've got all the luck I need. I've got a pile of broken mirrors and I'm walking under ladders and I'm spilling tons of salt. But to me that doesn't matter because my skin and my gender and my orientation are the best things to have if you live in this nation. I recommend it highly. See a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Shit's gonna work out for me Cause I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Hello and welcome to the Intellectual Dollar Tree We do the show live every Wednesday, 7pm Pacific Right here on Twitch, twitch.tv slash echoplex media uh, when the pod of this comes out the uh pod from last night's show will be out we had sweet haya in for a live performance and interview and it was quite good um, my kung fu is the best we had bass guitar vocals another guitar and um a trombone all in the studio here it was amazing so um i think you might be muted oh no i just haven't turned you on nope I, oh <laughs> Uh, I was saying I saw your new mixer. That thing is awesome. Yeah, uh, for 150 bucks, it's great. Yeah, uh, my mixer is only like six channel. So, <clears throat> oh, well, that's not even like uh, we don't even use that for the pod. The one, the one here is 18. Damn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. Make sure you check out the episode of uh, Local Love with Sweet Haya. It'll be uh, out on your podcatchers tomorrow if you're watching live, and it'll be out on your podcatchers yesterday if you uh, are checking out the podcast i'm producer dave you can find me on grinder and i am hk parent you can find me on mastodon at port 87.social slash h parent yeah no no k in that just h parent well 
<clears throat> so you picked the thing from a list of horrible things uh, this evening. <laughs> um, and it looks like we're going to do Tiny Dancer Ben and uh, Mr. Quest Statement himself, Lex Fridman. All right. This is going to be interesting. Uh, I think it looks like we tried to start watching some of this late night one night, but I don't recall. So whatever, we're going to do an episode <laughs> on it. The great lie we tell ourselves is that people who are evil are not like us. They're, they're a class apart. Everybody in history who has sinned is a person who's very different from me. Robert George, the philosopher over at Princeton, he's, he's fond of doing a, a sort of... Is that what I tell myself? I don't even consider sin a thing. In Alabama in yeah, it's weird. This is all the, this is the, you know, how the beginning they put a few highlights or whatever. That's what this is. Apparently this is the highlight of the conversation. The, the, the best protection against <laughs> evil is recognizing that it lies in every human heart and the possibility that it takes you over. Do you ever sit back, you know... In the quiet of your mind and think, am I participating in evil? I think I just have blood in my heart. The following is a conversation with Ben Shapiro, a conservative political commentator. And cholesterol. Host of the Ben Shapiro Why show, does Lex always look like he borrowed his dad's suit? Co-founder of the Daily Wire and author of several books, including The Authoritarian Moment, The Right Side of History, and Facts Don't Care About Your Feelings. Whatever your political leanings, I humbly ask, that you try to put those aside and listen with an open mind, nope. trying to give the most charitable interpretation <laughs> of the words we say. This is, this is like mean, my mind that. is always open. I just understand how to recognize bullshit. And like, this is, this is like also sort of asking his audience to like, forget everything they've ever learned in the past about tiny dancer, Ben Shapiro in a way. Yeah. General for this podcast, whether the notice they didn't mention any of Ben's uh, fiction books or Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, Donald Trump or Barack Obama, I will talk to everyone from every side, from the far left. But you block anybody on Twitter who claps back at you to the far right. <laughs> oh, who are your far left? Who, which far left people have you brought on, Lex? From presidents to prisoners, from artists to scientists, from the powerful to the powerless because we are all human, all capable of good and evil, all with fascinating- Remember when people used to have to make those VHS tapes for those dating services? Mm -hmm. that, this is what that is. Lex <laughs> is asking you out on a VHS tape. To explore. I seek only to understand, and in so doing, hopefully add a bit of love to the world. This is the Lex Friedman Podcast. To support it, please check out our sponsors in the description. And now, well, like, why would he friends, think that he's adding a little bit of love to the world by having fucking Ben Shapiro on? Because he's going to treat Ben Shapiro with respect and kindness, right? I think that's like, he's, it's so weird. This guy is like, this guy is like one of the most robotic motherfuckers in the world. He's always talking about love and shit. It's so strange. Uh, maybe like he, he, he's talking about love as like an abstract concept or something. Because this is just, this, this dude's a robot. This dude doesn't just work on AI. This dude is AI. Ben <laughs> Shapiro. Let's start with a difficult topic. What do you think about the comments made by Ye, formerly known as Kanye West, about Jewish people? They're awful. That's not a and difficult topic. Right? This, it, it would be only be a difficult topic if, like, you had a neo-Nazi on. But then it would be even less difficult, right? Because then you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to parse Ben's bullshit about other kinds of bigotries. You'd just have a neo-Nazi on. That'd be, that'd be, <laughs> yeah, but that's not a difficult topic. It's Kanye West is a bigot. 
The end. Yeah, it's very cut and dry. And they seem to get worse over time. They started off with the bizarre Deathcon 3 tweet, and then they went into even more. He thinks that's where he started? About Jews and Jews being sexual manipulators. I think that was the Pete Davidson, Kim Kardashian stuff, and then Jews running all I mean, the Pete meat. Davidson, a snack. Yeah, Jews being in charge of the financial <laughs> I'm sector. I'm sorry, nobody got manipulated Jewish there. people, I mean, there's no, <laughs> I mean, I called it on my show, there's Sherman Nazism, and it is. I mean, it's like right from Protocols of the Elders of Zion type stuff. Do you think those words come from pain? Where do they come from? And, you know, it's, it's always hard to try and read somebody's Bigotry. mind. Bigotry. You know, what, what he... Yeah, I don't care where, I don't care if he's in pain. That's fucking... Like that's like saying that like oh well it's fine actually that this guy whacked you in the leg with a bat he's a uh, he's got a headache like to me just I know a lot of people who are in a lot of pain it. none of them are bigots bipolar is he seems like a bipolar personality he he seems like somebody who is in the middle of a at least as far as I know and when you're manic you tend to say a lot of things that that you shouldn't say and you tend to believe that they're the most brilliant things ever said. The Washington Post an entire piece speculating about how bipolarism played into the kind of stuff that that Ye was saying, and um, it's hard for me to think that I know several people who are bipolar it, and also like aren't bigots. Yeah, this stuff, this stuff drives me nuts because like the people with you know on there's two places where this drives me nuts. One is this stuff where people who have uh, mental illness are more often the the subject of bigotry than the uh, than the purveyors of it and the other one is it's just mm-hmm. school shootings where they're like oh they were mentally ill it's like well most mentally ill people don't do any of this stuff and mental people with mental illness again are more likely to be the victims of violent crime than the perpetrators yeah like, they're using it as a scapegoat right they're already like trying to like shirk it off on on some condition that other people like you were saying other people live with this condition and manage not to blame all the troubles of the world on jewish people somehow i don't know how they do it apparently apparently it's hard because even if he is an anti-Semite, and I have no reason to suspect he's not, given all of his comments, if he had an ounce of common sense, he would stop at a certain point. And bipolarism tends to drive you well past the... the if you had an ounce common of common sense. sense, you wouldn't be anti-Semitic. Right, you wouldn't believe this crap. Applies. So, I mean, I, I would imagine it's coming from that. I mean... I, from his comments, I would also imagine that he's doing the logical mistake that, that a lot of anti-Semites or racists or bigots do, which is somebody hurt me. That person is a Jew. Therefore, all Jews are bad. And that, that jump from a person did something to me I don't like who's a member of a particular race or class, and therefore everybody of that race or class is bad. I mean, that's textbook bigotry, and that's Pretty obviously what Ye is engaging in. All the things are bad. There are no good things. That's the way he's been expressing it, right? He keeps talking about his Jewish agents. And I watched your interview with him and you kept saying, so just name the agents, right? Just name the people who are who are screwing you. And he wouldn't do it. Instead, he just kept going back to the the general, the group, the 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 Jews in general. I mean that, that was a shit show. Lex trying to talk to Ye was a shit show. We won't run it ever. That's I haven't seen true. that. And if we're putting any I probably context, should watch it. He would probably recognize it as such. To the degree is where it's fuel hate in the world. Uh, what's the way to reverse that process? What's the way to alleviate the hate? I mean, you're asking Ben it, Shapiro, who employs Matt Walsh. Like, take Ben Shapiro's statements off the table. He employs Matt Walsh. 
Matt Walsh has did that What is a Woman movie and has led like targeted harassment campaigns against trans women. So uh, Matt Walsh uh his comments after the the shooting in Colorado were fucking atrocious. I think <clears throat> I'm not if I'm not uh, mistaken before and after. Right. I should, if if I I'm not mistaken say. this interview was before but yeah you you can't like take all the bad shit that Ben Shapiro has said about mostly gay marriage recently. Take all the bad shit he's ever said off the table. Just the fact that he employs Matt Walsh means he doesn't have the answer to the question that was just asked of him. Yeah. Comes to yeah. believing he, kind of stuff he makes saying. it worse. Obviously debunking it. You know, making clear that what he's saying is is garbage. But the reality is that I think that that for most people who are in any way engaged with these issues. I don't think they're being convinced to be anti-Semitic by yay. I mean, I think that there's a group of people who may be swayed that anti-Semitism is acceptable because yay is saying what he's saying. And he's saying so very loudly and he's saying it over and over. But yeah, I think that, for example, there are these signs that were popping up in Los Angeles saying yay is right. Well, that, that group's been out there posting anti-Semitic signs on the freeways for years. And there are groups like that posting anti-Semitic signs where I live in Florida. They've been doing that for years, well before Ye was saying this sort of stuff. It's just like latest opportunity to, to kind of jump on, on that particular bandwagon. But listen, I think that people do have a moral duty to call that stuff out. So there is a degree to which it normalizes that kind of uh, idea that Jews control the media, Jews control X institution. Is there a way to talk about uh, a high representation of a group like Jewish people in a certain institution like the media or Hollywood and so on without it being a hateful conversation. Sure, of course, a high percentage of, of higher than statistically represented in the population percentage of Hollywood agents are probably Jewish. A higher percentage of lawyers generally are probably Jewish. A high percentage of accountants are probably Jewish. Also, a higher percentage of, of engineers are probably Asian. Like the statistical truths are statistical truths. It doesn't necessarily mean anything about the nature of the people who are being talked about. There are a myriad of reasons why people might be disproportionately in one. Oh, no. Here we're going to we're going to get into some race essentialism shit here, aren't we? Probably. Other ranging. From uh, I hope by reasons he means like either socioeconomic reasons or uh, cultural reasons. I hope he doesn't mean racial reasons. To sometimes the genetic. I mean, there are certain areas of the world oh, where there it is. people are better long he distance did. runners. He meant racial reasons. Their genetic adaptations in those particular areas of the world. That's not racist. That's just fact. I mean, what starts to get no, that's racist. Attributing a bad characteristic to an entire population based on the notion that that some members saying of this race is good thing. because they have the good genes that's racist <clears throat> it's also eugenicist yep yeah there's a jump between it's also possible that uh record label owners as a group have a kind of culture that f's over artists sure doesn't treat artists fairly and now that's just capitalism baby that doesn't have anything to do with being jewish also possible that there's a high representation of Jews uh, in in the group of people that own record labels, but it's that small but a very big leap that people take from 
the group that own record labels to all Jews. For sure. And I think that one of the other issues also is that anti-Semitism is, is fascinating because it breaks down into so many different parts. Meaning that if you, if you look at sort of different types of anti-Semitism, if you're a racist against black people, it's typically because you're racist based on the color of their skin. If you're racist, if you're racist against the Jews, you're anti-Semitic, then there are actually a few different ways that breaks down. Right? You have anti-Semitism in terms of ethnicity, which is like Nazi-esque anti-Semitism. You have Jewish parentage, you have a Jewish grandparent. Therefore, you are your blood is corrupt and you are inherently going to have bad properties. Then there's sort of old, old school religious anti-Semitism, which is that the Jews are the killers of Christ or the Jews are the sons of pigs and monkeys. Uh, and therefore, Judaism is bad and therefore Jews are bad. Didn't the Romans, didn't that story, wasn't it the Roman cops that killed him? Yes. Yes. And the way that you get out of that anti-Semitism, uh, Christ is was. Which Jewish most anti-Semitism yeah, in, for a in the Bible years, lore. Actually, it was not ethnic. It was it was much more rooted in in this sort of stuff, right? If a Jew converted out of the faith, then the anti-Semitism was quote unquote alleviated. And, and then there's a sort of bizarre anti-Semitism that's political anti-Semitism, and that is members of a group that I don't like are disproportionately Jewish. Therefore, all Jews are are members of this group or are predominantly represented in this group. So I feel see, like the vast majority of what he's talking about, uh, like the, the vast majority of anti-Semitism is the first kind that he was talking about. The you have Jewish heritage, therefore you are bad kind of anti-Semitism. Right. And the, I would say, see the other two are just manifestations like, like, manifestations of, of your speech around the way you talk about your distaste for Jewish people, right? That's the other two are just subsets of the first one. Mostly. Yeah. Uh, I feel like, uh, if it were specifically, if it were common to just be against Jews because of their religion, then you wouldn't see like so many different religions, like uh, specifically for, you know, the idea that it was the Jews who killed Christ, then you wouldn't see anti-Semitism in uh, populations that didn't have a lot of Christians. And you right. do. Right. And also it would, it <clears throat> like secular people who just happen to have Jewish last names wouldn't be getting a lot of, uh, be the subject of a lot of anti-Semitism, but they are. The communists are Jews. You'll see communists saying the Nazis are Jews, or, or you'll see communists saying that the capitalists, rather, are Jews. And so the, the, that's the weird thing about anti-Semitism. It's kind of like... I don't think anyone says before. the Nazis are Jews. conspiracy theory. Unlike a lot of other forms of racism, which are not really conspiracy theory, anti-Semitism tends to be a conspiracy theory about the levers of power being controlled by a shadowy cadre of people who are getting together behind closed doors to control things. Yeah, the most... I'm stunned that you didn't bring up, like, opposition to the... Uh, he would have worded it differently, but I, I would call it opposition to the actions of the nation state of Israel. I'm was I'm stunned that he didn't bring that up as a type of anti-Semitism. When he said political anti-Semitism, I was thinking to myself, oh, here we go. Absurd illustration yeah. of anti-Semitism, just like you said, is uh, Stalin versus Hitler over Poland, that every bad guy was a Jew. Right. It was like... So every enemy, there's a lot of different enemy groups, uh, intellectuals, political, and so on, military, and, and 
behind any movement that is considered the enemy for the Nazis and any movement that's considered the enemy for uh, the Soviet army are the Jews. What does the fact that Hitler took power teach you about human nature? When you look back at the history of the 20th century, what, what do you learn from that time? I mean, there are a bunch of lessons to Hitler taking power. The, the first thing I think people ought to recognize about Hitler taking power is that the power had been centralized in the government before Hitler took it. So if you actually look at the history of Nazi Germany, the Weimar Republic had effectively collapsed. The power had been centralized in the chancellery uh, and, and really under Hindenburg for a couple of years before that. And so it was only a matter of time until someone who was bad grabbed the power. And so the struggle between the Reds and the Browns in Nazism, in, uh, in pre-Nazi Germany, led to this kind of up-spiraling of radical sentiment that allowed Hitler in through the front door, not through the back door, right? He was elected. So you think communists so, could have also taken power? I mean, there's no question communists could have taken power. They were a serious force in, in pre-Nazi Germany. Do you think there was an underlying current that would have led to an atrocity if the communists had taken power? It wouldn't have been quite the same atrocity, but obviously the communists in Soviet Russia at exactly this time, we're, we're committing the Holodomor. Yeah. Right. So they, so it was, there were, there were very few good guys in terms of good parties. The moderate parties were being dragged by the radicals into alliance with them to prevent the worst case scenario from the other. This guys, is a right? lot so of speculation. And not for nothing, it sounds almost like he's talking about himself and his project in a way where the moderates are being pulled into like more radical um, right-wing politics by people like Ben Shapiro. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by the, the history of this period because it really does speak to how does a democracy break down? I mean, the 20s Weimar Republic was a very liberal democracy. How does a liberal democracy break down into complete fascism and then into genocide? And there, there's a character who, you know, was very prominent in the history of that time uh, named Franz von Papen, who was actually the second-class chancellor of the Republic before Hitler. So he was the chancellor and then he handed over to Schleicher and then he ended up, Schleicher ended up collapsing and that ended up handing power over to Hitler. It was Papen who had stumped for Hitler to become chancellor. Uh, Papen was a, was a Catholic Democrat. He didn't like Hitler. He thought that Hitler was a radical and a nut job, but he also thought that Hitler being a buffoon as he saw it was going to essentially be usable by the right forces in order to get the, in order to prevent the communists from taking power, maybe in order to restore some sort of legitimacy to the regime because he was popular, in order for Papen to, to retain power himself. And then immediately after Hitler taking power, Hitler basically kills all of Papen's friends. Papen, out of quote unquote loyalty, stays on. He ends up helping the Anschluss in Austria. Now, all this stuff is really interesting, mainly because what it speaks to is the great lie we tell ourselves is that people who are evil are not like us. They're they're a class apart. People who do evil things, people who support evil. I feel like he he doesn't like see the the comparison here between like you know the idea of Hitler being like the the useful idiot that that the party can use to to drum up support for itself, and then Hitler taking the reins and going way too far. Uh, he doesn't see the comparison between that and Trump. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying Trump is the same thing, uh, but that is how the Republican Party treated Trump. Everyone fell in line as soon as they realized that the extremes of their party were coalescing behind him. 
That's true. <clears throat> I mean, and we don't know what would have happened if Trump hadn't been stopped. I mean, I don't think it would have been camps within you know that the short amount of time that he had to be the president. But who knows what the fucking next person would have done? You know. That 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 that's yeah. We we everybody, came very close every- to. Uh, I mean, there were a handful of people who essentially kept us from the brink. Yep. That's what I feel like. Um, you know, I, I feel like we came a lot closer to a much more devastating blow to our democracy uh, than, than people realize. Uh, or maybe people do realize it, uh, but we... <laughs> We came incredibly close to a major, major crisis and quite possibly a civil war. I mean, arguably, we're still close to a civil war. Yeah. And, um, you know, not for nothing, like we're probably some of the key people who were in place and able to say no and put the brakes on things. We're probably never going to know most of their names, honestly. Yeah. Unfortunately, we do know several of them. Uh, and kudos to them. Uh you know, even the the Republicans who I would vehemently disagree with politically, uh, when the time came, a lot of them stepped up to to the plate and were able to get the job done. You know, right? Even if it, even if their reasons weren't like necessarily um, altruistic or whatever, if they were like, "I'm not, I don't want to be on this, I don't want to be on this fucking train." If it ever fucking, if it ever completely goes off the rails and all of us have to, you know, atone for what we've done, even if it was just self-preservation that they acted out of or for like their legacy or whatever, even if it was selfish reasons. Yeah. It's, it's just, but for like a handful of people, things would have gone much worse. Yep. And Trump's pressure campaign was massive. Like he put a lot of pressure on those Republicans. So good for them. Everybody in history who has sinned is a person who's very different from me. Robert George, the philosopher over at Princeton, he's, he's fond of doing a, a sort of thought experiment in his classes where he asks people to raise their hand if they had lived in Alabama in 1861. How many of you would be abolitionists? And everybody raises their hand. He says, of course, that's not true. Of course, that's not true. Well, you'd be a different person if you were in like the 1860s. You wouldn't, the odds of you being the same person, you, like that's impossible. Your parents wouldn't be alive. So like that's a that's a that's a dumb question. The, the best protection against evil is recognizing that it lies in every human heart and the possibility that it takes you over. And so you have to be very cautious in how you approach these issues and the back and forth of politics, the, the sort of bipolarity of politics, the the or the uh, polarization in politics might be a better way to put it, you know, makes it very easy to to kind of fall into the rock'em sock'em robots that eventually could theoretically allow you to support somebody who's truly frightening and hideous in order to stop somebody who you think is more frightening and hideous. And you see this kind of language, by the way, now predominating almost all over the Western world, right? My, my political enemy is an enemy of democracy. My political enemy is going to end the republic. My political enemy is going to be the person who destroys the country we live in. And so... No, we're, people are only saying that about one person, really, honestly. Um... They're really only saying that about uh, the Donald Trump and his enablers. Uh, a lot of people on his side say that about Biden. Yeah, I guess so. It's just not, I don't know, that those people are like, 
those people are becoming fewer. Those people are like fucking Steve Bannon. You know what I'm saying? They're not serious people. I mean, I I think Ben has uh, fear mongered like that. Oh yeah, probably quite a few times. Uh, he has said, you know, we're that we as the left, you know, we uh, want to destroy democracy or destroy families or destroy society or whatever when it's really like no we just don't want our gay friends and our trans friends to be shot to death we're a fan of them remaining alive that person has to be stopped by any means necessary and that's that's dangerous stuff so the communists had to be stopped in nazi germany and so they're the devil and so any useful buffoon as long as they're effective against the communists would do. Do you ever wonder, because the people that are participating in evil may not understand that they're doing evil. Do you ever sit back, you know, in the quiet of your mind and think, am I participating in evil? I mean, so my business partner and I, uh, one of our, our favorite. Oh, look at that smile. Cause he knows, there's he knows British comedy show. The name he is knows for a fact that what he does guys promotes evil the SS, and they're dressed in the SS uniforms and the black uniforms mm-hmm. the, the skulls on them. And they're saying to each other, one says to the other guy, you, you notice like the, the British, the, the symbol is something, is something nice. And it's like an, it's like an Eagle, mm-hmm. and, but uh, it's a skull and crossbones. You see that the Americans, you see their, their blue uniform. Oh, stop nice it then. Awesome. Jet black. Are we the baddies? And you know that's it. <laughs> oh, are you kidding and, me? Get the fuck. The, the out truth of here. is, we look back at at the Nazis and we say, well, of course they were the baddies. They wore black uniforms. And they had jack boots and they had this and that. And of course they were the bad guys. But evil rarely presents its face so clearly. So yeah, I mean, I think that you have to constantly be thinking along those lines, and you know, hopefully you try to avoid it. You know, you can only do the best that a human being can do. But yeah, I mean, the answer is yes. If it, I would say that. I spend an inordinate amount of time reflecting on promoting evil. I'm doing the right thing. And oh, I may okay. not always do the right thing. I'm sure a lot of people think that I'm doing the wrong thing on a daily basis, but um, it's uh, you may not ever do the right thing, Ben. Historically aware and hopefully morally decent person. Do you think you're mentally strong enough if you realize that you're on, on the wrong side of history? to switch sides? Very few people in history seem to be strong enough to do that. I mean, I think that the answer I hope would be yes. Uh, you never know until the, the time comes and you have to do it. Uh, I will say that... Have, the answer is absolutely no. And you know how I know that? It's because when he was like, there's something wrong with a woman if her pussy is wet. And everyone was like, what? Excuse me, what, Ben? He was like, well, no, no, no. My wife is a doctor and she also says that it's wrong if her pussy is wet. It's like, right. oh my God, Ben. And that was just a, that's admit a, you were wrong. <laughs> right. And that's that's a thing like of no real historical uh, consequence, except that it's really funny. And I hope kids have to read about it in history books eventually. <laughs> but there's no. Like, he can't even admit when he's wrong when it's something that ridiculous. So, yeah, I don't think that he would be uh, humble enough to admit that he was wrong ever about anything of areas is uh is something that that i have done before i'm the only person i've ever heard of in in public life who actually has a list on their website of all the dumb stupid yeah, things great. i've ever said <laughs> uh so where i go through and i 
either say this is why I still believe this or this is why what I said was terrible and stupid. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that list will get a lot longer. Yeah, I look forward to, to new additions to that Yeah, list. exactly. <laughs> yeah, it actually is a super, super long list. People should check it out. And it's quite honest. But like everything on that list is just times he misspoke or worded something in kind of a silly, dumb way. None of the stuff on that list is ever like, I was wrong about this important issue. Mm-hmm. It's like self-deprecating, but only like kind of self-deprecating in so far as like, oh, I said that in a dumb way, you know, it's not, yeah. it's not, Hey, I was wrong. Here's the right thing. None of it is like that. Uh, yeah. He specifically asked, um, uh, if you're on the wrong side of history, if you come to realize you're on the wrong side of history, would you be able to admit it and switch sides? And his answer was. Oh, well, sometimes I misspeak and I put that on my website. <laughs> like, so the answer is no. Oh, it's interesting to ask you, given how pro-life you are, about Ye's comments about comparing the Holocaust to the 900,000 abortions in the United States a year. So I'll take this from two angles. As a pro-life person, I actually didn't find it offensive because if you believe, as I do, that unborn and preborn lives deserve protection, then the slaughter of just under a million of them every year for the last almost 50 years is a historic tragedy on par with a Holocaust. From the outside perspective, I get why people um, would say there's a difference. Okay, pause it right here, because that is fucking disgusting. Comparing the Holocaust to an abortion, like that's fucking disgusting. Uh, how can you compare an actual like human life an actual person who's born and has thoughts and feelings and limbs who who does not have like uh a tail still to a fetus who has none of those things has never thought a thought like how can you compare those things well i mean like, he even just he just did, Even but he's just but, but, one. Can we can can we let him like finish what he was saying before we go after him? Because he's gonna. He also was starting to say like what from the outside perspective what what that is, and so I'd like to like hear what his uh, probably caricature or straw manning of my position on this might be. Okay, and every year for the last almost fifty years is a historic tragedy on par with a Holocaust. From the outside perspective, I get why people would say there's a difference in how people view the preborn as to how people view, say, a seven-year-old who's being killed in the Holocaust. Like the visceral power and evil of the Nazis shoving full-grown human beings in, and small children into gas chambers can't be compared to a person who, even from a pro-life perspective, may not fully understand the consequences of their own decisions or from a pro-choice perspective, fully understands the consequences, but just doesn't think that that... He can't even say it. He can't even say that it's just a fucking clump of cells. It's not a human being. It's a fucking clump of cells. All right. I, 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 sure. It has the potential to become a human being. So does cum. And no one cries about I, tossing I out a cum rag. I wasn't offended by Ye's comments in that way, though. Because if you're, if you're a pro-life human being, then you do think that what's happening is a, is a great tragedy on scale that involves the dehumanization of an entire class of people, the, the, the pre-born. So the philosophical, you understand the comparison. I do. I, Sure. So in his comments, in the jumping from the individual to the group, I'd like to ask you, you're one of the most effective people in the world at attacking the left. And sometimes it can slip into attacking the group. Do you worry that the, 
that's the same kind of oversimplification that Ye is doing about Jewish people that you can sometimes do with the left as a group. So when I speak about the left, I'm speaking about a philosophy. I'm not, I'm not really speaking about individual human beings as the leftists. Wait, no, no, come on. That's bullshit. Philosophy doesn't exist without humans to think the thing. Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, leftist philosophy wouldn't exist if there were, if there were nobody to think it. Like, you're talking about a group of people, Ben. It's, it's okay. We talk about groups of people all the time, too. I try to be as specific as I can, and I try to, like, hedge when I'm generalizing. But uh, everybody does this to some extent, and it's fine, actually. Group, and then try to name who the members of this individual group are. I also make a distinction between the left and liberals. There are a lot of people who are liberal who disagree with me on taxes, disagree with me on foreign policy, disagree with me on a lot of things. Um, the people who I'm talking about generally, and I talk about the left in the United States, are people who believe that alternative points of view ought to be silenced because they are damaging and harmful simply based on the disagreement. So, wait, no, that's wait, that's not leftism, though. That's just, that's just, I think you should shut up. And I think everybody thinks that sometimes, too, actually, like. Like, don't it doesn't it ever cross your mind that people who disagree with you about this or that should just shut the fuck up? I think everybody thinks that. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's a delusional thing to think if if you think it's going to happen, you're out of your mind. But it's like everybody thinks that. I don't know what he's talking about. Well, that's one distinction. The second distinction again is when I talk about the right versus the left. Typically, I'm talking about a battle of competing philosophies. And so I'm not speaking about typically, it would be hard to, if you put a person in front of me and said, is this person of the left or of the right? Having just met them, I wouldn't be able to, to label them in the same way that if you met somebody in the name of Greenstein. To be clear, he doesn't focus right. much on philosophy. He focuses on fucking culture war issues. Right. And I mean, you, one could one could argue that like your position in the culture war issues come from like your philosophy about the world around you and other people, but. Yeah, he's not, he's not like talking, he doesn't talk about leftist philosophy very much. The only one of these fuckers who tries to do that is James Lindsay, and he does it so poorly that like, that it's it's actually pretty funny. Yeah, this is, this is stupid. He's like, Lex isn't going to push him on this, but I, I would, I'd be like, what are you talking about? You're talking about groups of people. Philosophy is not like a disembodied thing. Like a black person's black person. And the, the adherence to a philosophy makes you a member of a group. If I think the philosophy is bad, that doesn't necessarily mean that you as a person are bad, but it does mean that I think your philosophy is bad. Yeah, so the grouping is based on the philosophy versus something uh, like a race, like this, the, the color of your skin or race as in the case of the Jewish people. So it's a different thing. You, you can be a little bit more nonchalant and careless in attacking a group because it's ultimately attacking a set of ideas. Well, right? I mean, it, it's really nonchalant in, in attacking the set of ideas. And I don't know that nonchalant would be the way I'd put it. I, I tried, I tried to be exact when you're, you know, you're, you don't, you don't always hit, but you know, the, if I He's say like, I try to be chalant is the communists, <laughs> right. And, and then presumably I'm speaking of people who believe in the communist philosophy. Hyper chalant. Now the question is whether I'm mislabeling, right. Whether I'm taking somebody who's not actually a communist and then shoving them in that group of communists, right. That'd be inaccurate. The, the the dangerous thing is it expands the group as opposed to you're talking about the philosophy you you're you're throwing everybody who's ever said i'm curious about communism i'm curious about socialism there's because there's like a gradient you know it's like uh to, th to throw something at you i think joe biden said maga republicans right right you know 
I think that's a very careless statement because the thing you jump to immediately is like all Everyone Republicans who voted for, for Trump. Oh, for right. Trump. Right. Versus I think the, in the in the charitable interpretation, that means a set of ideas. Yeah, like, my well, no, no. When you say MAGA Republicans, you're talking about people. Yes. Uh, the kind of people who identify themselves as MAGA Republicans. Right. They'll tell you. <laughs> Don't and worry. There are a lot of republicans who voted for trump who do not consider themselves to be maga republicans and wouldn't agree with trump on the kind of extreme maga ideals so like what lex just said there is just wrong with with the maga republicans line from from biden is that he went on in the speech that he made in in front of independence hall to actually try and define what it meant to be a maga republican who was a threat to the republic was the kind of language that he was using and later on in the speech, he actually suggested, well, you know, there are moderate Republicans and the moderate Republicans are people who agree with me on like the Inflation Reduction Act. It's like, well, that that, that can't be the, the the dividing line between a MAGA Republican. Well, I don't know if he I don't know the speech he's talking about, but I don't know if he said that that's like the dividing line. It might have been an example of what moderation is, is when like if you vo- usually vote for Republicans, but you agree with the Democrats on some things. That's what we generally call that a moderate Republican. So I don't know if, but it doesn't have to be, we don't just draw it on one specific policy. It doesn't, it could be any policy really, or yep. any small group of policies. And a moderate, like a moderate Republican, somebody who agrees with you, you got, you got to name me like a, a Republican who disagrees with you fairly strenuously, but is not in this group of threats to the Republic. You make that distinction and we can have a fair discussion about whether the idea of election denial, for example, makes somebody, you know, a threat to institutions. Yes. And- they're like part of a group, whether or not they participated in the behavior or not. They're part of the group that egged on the people on January 6th. So, yes. Yeah. And uh, on purpose. Yeah, definitely on purpose. I don't think there were many people who didn't like who were election deniers who then watched what the events of January 6th and were like, well, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. They may have said, well, this is a bad idea. <laughs> right. But they yeah. they didn't, you know. Like they're not, they didn't watch in horror or whatever. I don't think. That, that's, that's a, that's a conversation that we can have. And then we'll have to discuss how much power they have, you know, what the actual perspective is, what, delve into it. But, you know, I think that he was being overbroad and sort of labeling all of his political enemies. How much power election in, deniers in had? Stuff. One sort of them of was the fucking president. Right. Governors, secretaries of state, like. I don't know. When he says power, though, I think he means like cultural power, right? He probably just means Hollywood. Like he's got a he, he's got a real fucking disdain for Hollywood because they didn't ever let him be a screenwriter. And so I think that's what he means when he says power. People that stop him specifically from becoming a screenwriter. <laughs> but there, and there are different kinds of power. Cultural power and political power are, uh, you know, they're linked, but they're not the same. So. Well, time I'm not going to plead clean hands here because I'm sure that I've been inexact. Um, but somebody, w- what would be good in that particular situation is for somebody to sort of read me back the quote and I'll, I'll let you know where I've been inaccurate. I'll try to do that. And also you don't shy away from humor and occasional trolling and mockery and all that kind of stuff. For the- Wait, Ben Shapiro does humor? <laughs> Some of the stuff he said has been funny, but like doing humor was when you're intentionally funny. Yeah. Um, I think Ben Shapiro's idea of humor is uh, 
Kind of like Dave Rubin's idea of humor. Or like that gad sad guy who only ever talks about having done satire in the past tense because he never says anything funny at all. <laughs> for the fun, yep. for the chaos, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, I, I try not to, to do trollery for trollery's sake, but, you know, if the show's not entertaining and not fun, people aren't going to listen. Right. And so, you know, if you can't have fun with politics, the truth about politics is we all take it very seriously because it has some serious ramifications. Politics is Veep. It is not House of Cards. The, the general rule of politics is that everyone is a moron unless proven otherwise, that virtually everything is done. Uh, he took that quote from analysis. someone. And I heard that quote recently. Politics as a comedy. It might have been him. He might have tweeted it out or something. I don't think it was him. Well, it, uh, let's. Uh, it might have come from him. Maybe someone else took it from him. Possibly. Have a lot more fun. And so the, the difficulty for me is I take politics seriously, but also I have the ability to sort of flip the switch and suddenly it all becomes incredibly funny. Because it, it, it really is. Like, if you just watch it from a pure entertainment perspective and you put aside the fact that it affects hundreds of millions of people. I mean, if you're not being oppressed, watching, yeah, you could find it funny. But, like, it's not funny when, like, your life is on the line. You know, President Trump being president. I mean, he's one of the funniest humans who's ever lived. Watching Kamala Harris be Kamala Harris and talking about how much she loves Venn diagrams or electric buses. I mean, that, that's, that's funny stuff. So it is can't make fun of that. Then how much you guy. love Venn diagrams and electric buses is funny. I wouldn't consider that funny. I know a very funny guy named Phil Johnson who does like, has a guitar plays and makes funny songs. Usually when I see a comedian that has like an instrument, I'm like, fuck, this person's not going to be funny. Right. You just, it's all very few, uh, like very few comedians who bring musical instruments up up on stage are funny, but I don't think even Phil Johnson, one of the funniest people I've ever met, and we've interviewed him a few times for Local Love, I don't think he could make a funny song about uh, Venn diagrams and electric buses. And he is a comedic genius, legitimately. Morose <laughs> pretty quickly. Yeah, it's funny to figure out what is the perfect balance between uh, seeing the humor and the absurdity of, of the game of it versus taking it seriously enough because it does affect hundreds of millions of people. It's a weird balance to strike. It's like, uh, I am afraid with the internet that everything becomes a joke. I, I totally agree with this. Uh, I will say this. I, I try to make less jokes about the ideas and more jokes about the people in the same way that I make jokes about myself. I'm, I'm pretty self-effacing in terms of my humor. I'm, I would say at least half the jokes on my show are about me. Right? When, I'm, when I'm reading ads for, for Tommy John and they're talking about their no wedgie guarantee, I'll say things like, you know, that would help me in high school because it would have, I mean, just factually speaking. Um, so oh God, it, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's like repurposing. die of laughing. He's like repurposing other jokes. People, people, the jokes other people have made about him though. Right. Those are, those are jokes that people have been making about Ben Shapiro the whole time. So he's like really stealing, like he's like stealing the, like anybody who's culturally aware of Ben Shapiro, he's stealing their material when he makes that joke. <laughs> if I can speak that way about myself, I feel like everybody else can take it as well. Difficult question. In 2017, there was a mosque shooting in Quebec City. Six people died, five others seriously injured. The 27-year-old gunman consumed a lot of content online and checked Twitter accounts a lot of a lot of people. But one of the people he checked quite a lot of is you. Uh, 93 times in the month leading up to the shooting. If you could talk to that young man... What would you tell him? No, that's I mean, not the tough question. <laughs> the, the tough, though, if you could tell that, that, that's not a tough, the tough question would be, do you feel like the rhetoric you put out there could in some ways radicalize people to violence? That would be the tough yeah, question. Or, or how about why are you okay with the rhetoric that you put out 
radicalizing people to violence. Right. But the question is, what would you say to this person? He already done said it to that person. (laughs) Maybe other young men listening to this that have hate in their heart in that same way. What would you tell them? You're getting it wrong. If anything that I or anyone else in mainstream politics says drives you to violence, you're getting it wrong. You're getting it wrong. Now, again, when, when it comes to stuff like this, I have a hard and fast rule that I've applied evenly across the spectrum. And that is, I never blame people's politics for other people committing acts of violence unless they're actively advocating violence. So when- So uh, Ben just does not believe in uh, stochastic terrorism. Just straight up does not believe in stochastic terrorism. That's what he's telling you right there. Yeah. Also, you mentioned uh, Matt Walsh works for him. Yes. Uh, what about when Matt Walsh calls for violence? I think his uh, Ben, somebody like Ben might be like, he's only pointing out what's going on and giving you the person's name and address. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not kidding. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure Matt Walsh has said essentially this person should be killed uh, about certain people. I don't know if that's a fact. I do. Like I said, I'm a big believer in the idea of stochastic terrorism. And I think Ben right here is just doing a, uh, like a masterclass in stochastic terrorism denial. You don't have to, if you uh, have like, if you have a group of people that you're radicalizing into a hateful ideology, you have to expect that one of them is going to act on it. You don't know who it's going to be. You don't know when it's going to be, and you don't know what they're going to do, but that's how stochastic terrorism works. And it allows people like Ben to sort of wash their hands of any of the consequences of their own behavior and the, and the, the, their own rhetoric and how it impacts society. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't think that Matt Walsh has ever specifically said like this person deserves to die or this person needs to die, but he has said some things along the line of like, these kinds of people are ruining society or these kinds of people uh we need to get these kinds of people out of our society things like that which imply you know these people quote need to die or unquote non-quote but congressional baseball game that is not bernie sanders's fault I may not like his rhetoric. I may disagree with him on everything. Bernie Sanders did not tell somebody to go shoot up a congressional baseball game. When a nutcase in San Francisco goes and hits Paul Pelosi with a hammer, I'm not going to blame Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, for that. When somebody threatens Brett Kavanaugh, I'm not going to I'm not going to suggest that that was Joe Biden's fault because it's not Joe Biden's fault. I mean, they, we can play this game all day long, and I find that the people who are most intensely focused. I feel on like you just exhausted all of your examples for the left, though. Your last one was like some guys were yelling at brett kavanaugh right well there was a there was a, a situation where a person uh traveled to uh brett kavanaugh's uh home with a weapon but that person basically thankfully by the way i don't like the word chickened out but i can't really think of another like but they've fucking turned themselves in okay they were basically i'm in crisis i can't you know i can't believe what i'm doing uh the and the congressional baseball thing was a very long time ago. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's exhausted his list of, uh, examples of people on the left being radicalized enough that they're willing to commit heinous acts of violence. Um, whereas most, not most, a lot of these 
uh, mass shooters have right-wing politics. Like, you, you look up how they acted online, and they traveled in right-wing circles. Right. Uh, notoriously leftist organization, the FBI, has put out these statistics year after year after year, right? And, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know those, leftists, <laughs> those leftists over at the FBI. Oppose the politics of the person, as opposed to actually believing sincerely that this has driven somebody into the arms of the, the God of violence. But, you know, I, I have 4.7 million Twitter followers. I have 8 million Facebook followers. I have 5 million YouTube followers. I would imagine that some of them are people who are violent. I would imagine that some of them are people who do evil things or want to do evil things. And, um, I wish that there were, so are you okay with egging them on? Yeah. Cause he, he eggs them on and but more to the point, and I, I, I keep hammering this home, he employs Matt Walsh, and the version of this that Matt Walsh is doing is just far more in your face than what Ben does. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, he also employs Candace Owens, who has been essentially defending the things that Kanye's been saying. So people from deliberately or or mistakenly misinterpreting things as a call to violence. Uh it's it's just a negative byproduct of the fact that you can reach a lot of people. And so, you know, if somebody could point me to the comment that, that I suppose, quote unquote, drove somebody to go and literally murder human beings, uh, then I would appreciate it. So I could, so I could talk about the comment. That's the thing though. He's like not willing to admit that like his rhetoric is what does it. He's saying like, well, I didn't make one specific comment that said, go and murder someone. No, you don't have to. It's your rhetoric. Like he, he espouses violent rhetoric. Right. The way this the way this works, right, isn't that they hear one episode of the Ben Shapiro podcast or the Matt Walsh show or whatever, and this person's radicalized. That person was already on there. That person's already in the funnel, dude. You're just pushing them down the funnel a little bit more. That's it. It's it's not complicated. It's literally anybody who's ever like watched one of these sales funnel like con men videos understands this the top of the funnel is people like ben shapiro uh, to some extent sometimes sam harris is the top of that funnel for some people if they're more inclined towards the manosphere somebody like jordan peterson is the top of that funnel and at the bottom of that funnel you have people like nick fuentes milo um now yay seems to be at the bottom of that funnel um and but you're just because you're not the bottom of the funnel if you if you nudge someone down the funnel, you're part of the problem. I would say Matt Walsh is the bottom of the funnel, and he employs him. Certainly near the bottom of the funnel. Absolutely, absolutely. Like his his homophobia and transphobia is just so blatant and brazen. Um, but I, I'm actually going to predict that in the next six months, it's going to be uh, politically impossible for Ben to keep Matt under his employee, and he's going to let him go. I hope so. I don't mainly because I, I just think that if we remove agency from individuals and we, if we, if we blame broad scale political rhetoric for every act of violence, we're not going to, the, 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 the people who are going to, but we're not blaming it for every act of violence. Like people commit acts of violence all the time for all kinds of reasons. We're talking about political violence. We're talking about politically motivated violence, domestic terrorism. Right. And so, we're not talking about domestic violence, right? That's a whole other thing. And don't get me wrong. 
there are people in Ben's Ben's little little orbit who are apologists for that shit too. The manosphere types in his orbit. Um, but yeah, there's all different kind of violence. People commit violence uh, in robbery because they want the person's money, and it's completely apolitical. And it doesn't matter when when somebody robs somebody, like beats them up and takes their wallet. We never go through their social media to see what po- politics stuff they were following because it's not political. This is stupid. This is absolutely stupid. The general population, because free speech will go away. If the idea is that things that we say could drive somebody who is unbalanced to go do something evil, the necessary byproduct is hate. Is that is that speech is a form of hate. Hate is a form of violence. Speech is a form of violence. Speech needs to be curbed. And that to me is... Hate speech is a form of hate. Yes. That's why it's named hate speech. And he's making like a pretty dumb slippery slope argument. The argument is that the argument against what he's saying is that you as a person with, we just talked about how big his following is. Maybe you should be a little more uh, careful and circumspect. Maybe you should think a little bit more about what you're saying and how it's impacting our society and what possible negative impacts it's going to have on our society before you fucking say it. Yep. Like, yeah, uh, it's, it doesn't have to be the government telling you like, hey, you're not allowed to say that. You could just decide for yourself. Oh, wow. The things that I'm saying drive people to kill other people. Maybe I shouldn't say those things. Right. Even if even if you accept that those people, maybe even it, maybe if it wasn't Ben, it would have been someone else. Right. Maybe they would have found, I don't know, some other fucking ghoul. Right. But that doesn't mean that. That doesn't mean that just because they would have found some other ghoul, if you weren't saying it, that it that it's good and proper and okay for you to be saying it. You're just another voice now. I this idea that like this idea that we should basically he they like to do this. They'll conflate what I'm going to call like cultural accountability with like government suppression of what they're saying, and that's just not the same thing. Disturbing. Yeah. So. Definitely he, that man, that 27-year-old man is the only one responsible for the evil he did. But what if he and others like him are not nutcases? What if they're people with pain, with anger in their heart? What would you say to them? You are exceptionally influential and other people like you that speak passionately about ideas. What do you think is your opportunity to alleviate the hate in their heart? If we're speaking about people who aren't mentally ill and people who are just misguided, I'd say to him, the thing that I said to every other young man in the country, you need to find meaning and purpose in forming connections that actually matter in in a belief system that actually promotes general prosperity and, and, and promotes helping other people. And this is why, you know, the message that I most commonly say to young men is it's time for you to grow up, mature, get a job, get married, have a family, take care of the people around you, become a useful part of your community. Uh, I've, I've never. At well, but that's, in my entire- but that's, that's like, that's not for everyone. Ben, Ben, what if, what if you're talking to somebody who's having a very hard time dating? They're like, can't even get a second date. And, uh, you know, they're, they're very frustrated with that. And then they go down the, uh, manosphere pipeline. Or what if you're talking to someone who's asexual and aromantic? They just don't want to be in a relationship. Right. Or or what if it's just somebody who is maybe polyamorous or 
uh, I, the word polygamy gets a lot of like shit, but somebody who's polygamous and likes to sleep around, but is otherwise fairly well adjusted. I mean, not otherwise is well adjusted and just likes to get their fuck on. Well, if they get radicalized by like some, you know, content creator, a group of content creators, your, this advice to them isn't going to help them. In fact, you're just going to be like furthering the problem of them feeling that they're being othered by society. When you tell them that they need a two and a half kids and a a station wagon and a, and maybe a, maybe a Jeep or something and a white picket fence. And they're like, but I don't want those things. I just want a nice apartment and and like just scroll through grinder. Get out of here. Like, yeah. Um, and also, like, he, he prefaced that by saying, well, if they're not mentally ill, if they're just, you know, struggling or whatever, and, like, why would you, why would you refrain from giving the advice that you're giving to someone who's mentally ill? Like, are mentally ill people just, does he, does he think that if someone has a mental illness that they're not worth trying to communicate to? Right. Cause I, I think that these, I think that a lot of times these, the, the assumption is that you have to be a person with a mental illness to go do these things. And it's just the, basically the, the difference between what we colloquially co- colloquially call crazy and someone with a mental illness. Cause those aren't the same thing actually. Mm-hmm. Our career suggested violence as a resort to political political issues I mean, the whole point of having a political conversation is that it's a conversation if i didn't think that that it were worth trying to convince people of my point of view i wouldn't do what i do for a living so violence doesn't solve anything no it doesn't as if this wasn't already a difficult conversation (laughs) (laughs) you've been this has not been a difficult conversation you've given him an out every time um also, I I think it's it's a real cute platitude when someone says violence doesn't solve anything, uh, but it's also unrealistic because sometimes violence is the only answer. Like when you have literal Hitler killing, like uh, like committing genocide and waging war across Europe, the answer is violence. Right. Many would say self-defense or defense of others, right? That's the, these are the times when, when we, when, when violence is okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is a difficult conversation, but just in, in that it's difficult to watch and I cannot fucking wait for the post game. Uh, Ilhan Omar, you've called out her criticism of Israel policies as anti-Semitic. Is there a difference between criticizing a race of people like the Jews and a, and criticizing um, the policies of a nation like Israel. Of course. Of course. I criticize the policies of Israel on a fairly regular basis. I would assume. Yeah, the gay marriage stuff mostly, probably. An angle than Ilhan Omar does. Um, But yeah, I mean, I criticize the policies of of a wide variety of states. And to take an example, I mean, I've I've criticized Israel's policy in giving control of the Temple Mount to the Islamic Waqf, which effectively prevents anybody except for Muslims from praying up there. I've also criticized the Israeli government for their COVID crackdown. I mean, they can criticize the policies of any government, but that's not what Ilhan Omar does. Ilhan Omar doesn't actually believe that there should be a state of Israel. She believes that Zionism is racism and that the existence of a Jewish state in Israel is in and of itself. She didn't, I, you would be hard pressed to find examples of her saying that. 
She doesn't say that. Yeah, I, I've never heard her say that. Like, not for nothing, like in her district, the, the, the Jewish population voted for her like three to one. If she was saying that kind of shit, I don't, even like non-Zionist secular uh, Jews would be like, oh, nope, nope, that's weird. That's weird eliminationist uh, <laughs> rhetoric that I'm not going to vote for. So, The great sin, that is a statement she would make about no other people in no other land. She would not say that the French don't deserve a state for the French. She wouldn't say that Somalis wouldn't deserve a state. But wait, the French aren't like, the French aren't like, telling any italians who live in france that they can't go like live in a certain place and bulldozing their houses and shit so the the ethnic french can move in there like so we can't say that about the french (laughs) and like and we also i i don't know i mean i don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole but i think that the the only solution in israel and palestine is to knock down the fences and people just need to fucking live live together as neighbors and shop at each other's shops and shit just like how I don't know what religion my fucking neighbors are. That's where they need to get. Otherwise, it's this is just never going to end. And that's, yeah, that's a that's a long ways away. They need to they they need to have, uh, end up fighting about politics and uh, the size and role of government and maybe uh maybe gay marriage or something like regular people <laughs> in Somalia. That is the ideal solution, but whether that is possible to attain is a question. Oh, I think it's not in our lifetimes. That Germans don't deserve a state in Germany. She wouldn't say for the 50 plus Islamic states that exist across the world that they don't deserve states of their own. It is only the Jewish state that has fallen under her her significant scrutiny. And she also promulgates lies about one specific state in the form of suggesting, for example, that Israel is an apartheid state, which it is most eminently not, considering that the it is a, there's an argument to be made that Israel is, a part, is an apartheid state. I know secular Jews in America who believe that, who are disgusted by what's going on there in fact most secular jews in the united states do not support the Likud party and the home party and the ruling far-right parties of israel they think that what's going on there is quite bad so ben is <clears throat> ben is out of step with i think he's a religious jew himself i think he's might be um, um conservative because there's like orthodox conservative reform and i forget the, there's like a new one now or like one that was new to me i don't mean new and I, but he's he might even be out of step with most uh, religious Jews in the United States on, on this matter. Unity government in Israel included an Arab party that there are Arabs who sit on the Israeli Supreme Court and all the rest. And then beyond that, obviously, she's engaged in in some of the same sort of anti-Semitic tropes that you heard from Yay, right? The stuff about it's all about the Benjamins. That American support for Israel is all about the Benjamins, and she's had to be chided by members of her own party about this sort of. That thing. was like a fucking song. Like famously, the uh, Foo Fighters, uh, obvious Nazis, the Foo Fighters did a did a rap rock thing with somebody about that song. She was talking about APAC and she was talking about money. Because Benjamin is a hundred dollar bill. The, uh, also, like saying she says the same kind of stuff as Kanye, and then giving an, an example of something that's like. Probably one of the least controversial things Kanye has said. And, uh, you know, even if he was right and she did say that, she's still not saying she loves Hitler. Okay, so also not for nothing, <clears throat> like APAC is, it's the, you know, American is, I forget what it is now. It's, an, it's, an, it's a lobby for the state of Israel in the United States. Most of its donors aren't Jewish. Most of its donors are American Christian Zionists. 
So what now? The stuff before. Can you empathize with the plight of Palestinian people? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, some of the uglier things that I've ever said in my career are things that I said very early on when I was 17, 18, 19. I started writing a syndicated comment. I was 17. I'm now 38. So virtually all the dumb things, I'll say virtually all, many of the dumb things, the, the plurality of the dumb things that I've said came from the ages of, I would say, 17 to maybe 23. Yeah. Uh, and they are rooted, again, in sloppy thinking. I, I feel terrible for people who have lived under the thumb and currently live under the thumb of Hamas, which is an actual terrorist group. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's saying that I have, I have uh, uh, sympathy or empathy for them because of Hamas, not because of the treatment of the Palestinians by the the state of Israel. <laughs> oh my God! Oh. Yep, Palestinian Authority, which is a corrupt oligarchy that steals money from its people and leaves them in misery, or Islamic Jihad, which is an actual terrorist group. And the the basic rule for the region, in my view, is if these groups were willing to make peace with Israel, they would have a state literally tomorrow. And if they are not, then there will be no peace. And it really is that simple. If Israel, the, the, the formula that's typically used has become a bit of a... But Israel would also have. have to be willing to make peace. Right. And with with un, unflinching support from the world's biggest superpower, they're not really, there's no incentive. There's no pressure on Israel to make peace. And I don't even know what, like, I don't even know what peace with uh, the Palestinians looks like, because they'd, first of all, if they were going to have like the West Bank and Gaza, they wouldn't have one contiguous piece of land. They'd have two pieces of land where to visit for, like in one part of their country to visit another part of their country. They'd basically need permission from a third country to even go there, you know? Mm. And so it's, it's like, it's, this is, this is, I don't know. I don't, I don't like this this comparison of criticism of Israel and the the lobbying of the United States government on behalf of Israel. I don't like this comparison at all to like protocols of the elders of Zion fucking anti-Semitism. I don't like it at all. It's it's I think it's dishonest and it's designed to uh, provide cover for people like Kanye, I think. Yeah. It's a both it's both sidesing a thing that isn't the two things aren't similar do anti-semites uh use um use some of these things to fuel their anti-semitism as part of their rhetoric absolutely but that doesn't mean that you know that doesn't mean that the the criticisms of the the state of israel are anti-semitic in their nature all the time or even most of the time to be factually correct if if the palestinians put down their guns tomorrow there would be a state if the israelis put down their guns there'd be no israel you get attacked a lot on the internet oh yeah i, I, got, I, gotta, <laughs> I gotta ask you about your own psychology um how do you not let that break you mentally and how do you avoid i feel like that uh much? we what should talk mean? about what he just said uh it's wrong uh, where he said, if Palestinians put down their guns tomorrow, they would have a state. That's just wrong. Like, like at the like, very, at the very least, it's like a counterfactual, and it's some crystal ball shit, right? Yeah, uh, but it's wrong. Like they're they're fighting each other. They're not like. It's not like one side is is gonna just immediately 
placate to the other as soon as the other is like, you know what? We're done fighting. No, they're both sides want the same thing. So both sides are trying to get it. Of the groups that attack you. I mean, it's so there, there are a few sort of practical things that I've done. So for example, I would say that four years ago, Twitter was all consuming. Twitter is an ego machine, especially the notifications button, right? The notifications button is just people talking about you all the time. And the normal human tendency is, wow, people talking about me. I got to see what they're saying about me, which is a recipe for insanity. So uh, my wife actually said, Twitter is making your life miserable. You need to take it off your phone. So Twitter is not on my phone. If I want to log on to Twitter, I, I have to go onto my computer and I have to make the conscious decision to go onto Twitter and then take a look at what's going on. I could just imagine you like there's a computer in the basement. You descend into the check Twitter. That's pretty much in it. the I mean, darkness. If you, if you look at when I actually tweet, it's generally like in the run up to recording my show or when I'm prepping for my show later in the afternoon, okay. for example. That doesn't affect you negatively mentally, like put you in a bad mental space? Not particularly if it's restricted to sort of what, what's being watched. Now, I, I will say that I think the most important thing is you have to surround yourself with a group of people who are who you trust enough to make serious critiques of you when you're doing something wrong, but also you know that they have your best interests at heart. Because the internet is filled with people who, who don't have your best interests at heart and who hate your guts. And so you can't really take those critiques seriously or it does wreck you. And the world is also filled with sycophants, right? Then the, the, the more successful you become, there are a lot of people who will tell you you're always doing the right thing. I'm very lucky. I got married when I was 24. My wife was 20. So she's known me long before I was famous or wealthy or anything. And so she's a, a good sounding board. I, I have a family that's willing to that's willing to call me out on my bullshit, as you talk to, to Ye about. Uh, I have friends who are able to do that. I, I try to have open lines of communications with people who I, I believe have my best interest at heart. But one of the sort of conditions of being friends is that when you see me do something wrong, I'd like for you to let me know that so I can correct it. And I don't want to leave bad impressions out there. The sad thing about the internet, just looking at the critiques you get, I see very few critiques from people that actually want you to succeed, want you to grow. I mean, all right, we're going to leave it there. We're going to leave the podcast there. I can't fucking handle this obnoxious conversation anymore. He's like, we're seeing very few <laughs> critiques from people who want you to succeed. Why the fuck does it matter if I'm criticizing somebody, whether or not I want them to succeed? Is the thing I'm saying true? Um, it's because when you criticize Ben Shapiro, it hurts his fifis. It doesn't matter if it's fact. It hurts his feelings. And feelings are more important to Ben Shapiro than fact. Despite everything he says to the contrary, Ben Shapiro is fucking all about feelings. That that may that I don't know. I'm I'm hesitant to like get into his head that way. Um, like you were like people. Some people do say that like he makes a lot of emotional appeals to his audience. That's for sure. Um, this this crap that Lex does, and I think the IDW all do it. They're like, well, like Eric would say, well, I don't want to listen to criticism from people who don't have my best interest at heart. That's a fucking Eric Weinstein thing, a hundred percent, right? Like, mm -hmm. like yeah. he when he was like. He was like uh, the focus on ridicule he, when they were when he was talking to Sam Harris about Sam Cedar. And it's like, well, like, does it like if the thing is funny because the person delivering it is funny. 
that's okay. Is the thing true? Like, are they telling the truth? Are they giving an accurate representation of what's going on and then making a funny joke about it because it's funny? Well, if they, if that's what's going on, then they're just saying something true and being funny. And I guess sucks for you if you can't do that sometimes. This, 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 and also, this, this over, this over, like, this, like, oversampling almost on interpersonal relationships and intent intent behind criticism is one of the things we've been talking about since the first fucking episode of this show. And it's dumb as fuck. If you're a public figure. Mm -hmm. And also we've seen examples of people criticizing these, these men. Cause well, I guess uh, Heather is in there too. Uh, We've seen examples of people criticizing these quote, public intellectuals bringing up perfectly valid criticisms with clearly no bad intent. You know, they didn't come at him like, oh, you're such a fucking loser. Here's a a valid criticism. No, it's just like, here is my valid criticism presented plainly. And then they'll fucking block him. Right. Every time. Like, it's not like everybody's me out there, like going after the trigonometry guy for putting a laugh track on his stand up comedy video. Like that's you know, that's in, intended to like defame. Oh, well, I don't know. Putting a laugh track on your stand up comedy video is actually defamation of one's own character. Ask any comedian if they would do that. <laughs> any real comedian. But let's, they, like, when I was talking to Chris from uh, Decoding the Gurus, like during our conversation after like the, the podcast interview, where I thought that, um, you know, I was like, oh, you know, you're, you're up late or whatever. We, we talked about how when he and his co-host Matt, who are um, you know academics, who talk about these people, they they still try their shows funny and interesting, and they do poke a little bit of fun. But no matter like when they put out an episode about somebody, the person who's the target of the episode usually acts like it was an episode of the fucking intellectual Dollar Tree about them, right? Where we are. Or Mm -hmm. I'll speak for myself. I am perfectly happy to make negative comments about someone's character based on their behavior. I think that's a thing that that we should do more in society. We should be like, oh, you're a shitty person because you do this. And I think that's fine. You know, we, we make character assessments all the time in our personal lives, deciding who to be friends with, who to date, whatever, whether or not we want to even go to Thanksgiving dinner. Some people are like, my uncle's character is so poor. I can't go to Thanksgiving dinner. And so I, but it's just like, no matter what kind of criticism these people get, they, they act like it's an episode of this show where we like spend an hour dunking on them. And there's, yep. a, there's space in the criticosphere as some people call it for what we're doing. Otherwise we wouldn't have been able to, you know, build a fairly large podcast audience full of, you know, a lot of the same kinds of people who might listen to decoding the gurus or Aaron Rabinowitz's show or even the conspirituality show. That doesn't mean that those people who are in the same sphere as we are kind of critiquing public intellectualism doesn't mean they're all us. It doesn't mean they're all doing what we're doing just because they're in the same, just because they're in like the same basket we are and criticizing the same people more or less about the same things. And so it's, it's just really interesting how everybody in the IDW, and I will say every one of them retreats back to this, oh, well, they're coming after me. They just want to make fun. They just want to dunk. Well, yeah, some of it is that, but I wouldn't want to dunk on you if you weren't a fucking asshole. Like, I don't know what else to say, right? I wouldn't dunk yeah. on Sam Harris for his like weird speech mannerisms if he was out there going, oh, you know, I think that uh, we have a lot of problems in the 
and the alt-right and I'm not, you know, this race IQ stuff that's coming up is really troubling. If he would have had Charles Murray on and Charles Murray would have started talking about these race differences and Sam would have said, you know, I think a lot of this has been debunked or at the very least there's been evidence presented that a lot of this is incorrect or incomplete. Like we wouldn't have been going after him. If you, you know what I mean? We wouldn't go after Jordan Peterson if he was just sounded weird and happened to find himself addicted to benzodiazepine, right? It was, we go after Jordan Peterson because he shit all over drug addicts for, for like most of his career at a public intellectual some of that time while hopped the fuck up on benzos. And I think that's kind of funny. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry <laughs> to the people who think it's crass that I think that's kind of funny. But these people all retreat into this, this space where it's all personal. And yeah, it's and just to have not Ben Shapiro say like out loud that he would totally listen to criticism. If it's coming from someone who, who has his best interests at heart, it's like, that is a very subjective thing that you're, you're talking about has your best interest at heart. And you could fall back on that. If, if you're blocking someone who has valid criticism and you know, he does that. You know, as soon as someone has a valid criticism that he doesn't like, he goes, oh, you don't have my best interest at heart. Block. Right. It's like Sam Harris when he says none of this is the good faith, not good faith criticism. Do you remember? And I think maybe we'll, we'll this will be our kind of closing remark. But I, Lex is the king of like this. We have to have this, this respect for one another. He even talks about love and he has weirdos like Jordan Peterson on. Um, if you remember Sam and Ezra, the whole time Ezra was legitimately taking apart what Sam does and explaining Charles Murray's history as a public intellectual. And the whole time Sam was impugning Ezra's character saying, you're just doing this as a hit job. You're you're you've come here in bad faith. You're, you're trying to smear me. Like these are all, these are all, you know, the thing that Sam Harris accused everybody else of doing all the time. He was trying to smear Ezra Klein during that, that conversation as didn't care. <laughs> And it was like, I, he's like, I run Vox. I don't care what you say. He's like, what the fuck do I care what you say? As was like everything Sam Harris like kind of wants to be. He's like mild mannered, liberal, uh, and unlike Sam, uh, self made. I don't agree with everything Ezra Klein says. I think he's kind of, he's definitely not, doesn't share my politics. But in that we, we saw Sam talking to somebody who's everything that Sam tries to be. And when we see Lex going, oh, we need to increase the love. We need to increase the love. And I'll, you know, I'll talk to people of all political persuasions. Well, he's not really increasing the love by having people coming on like Ben Shapiro and like kind of letting them sanitize themselves through Lex's frame of we have to increase the love. And I don't know. He doesn't really want to hear from people who don't like him. He blocks faster than anybody. I Lex blocked <laughs> me before I had ever tweeted at him. <laughs> wow he's i think you know what he probably used one of those uh those like programs that will block you based on like whether you liked someone else's tweet that or he name searches himself and we had done an episode of, of about him <laughs> possibly yeah i wish it would tell you like what date they blocked you on that'd be interesting information but the, the thing is then people would use that to like har- continue to harass people, right? Yeah. People would use that for nefarious purposes. Anyway, that's been the podcast version of the show. I, you can go ahead and watch the rest of this interview if you want. I don't recommend it. We remember at the beginning, we were like, oh, you should watch the whole thing. Fuck that. You can if you want. I'm not stopping you. It's publicly available. But my God, was that insufferable. HK, can you read the show <laughs> out? 
Yes. We do this show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific, uh, live on twitch.tv slash echoplex media. Yep. And uh, we also have other shows. You can check them out at echoplexmedia.com. And if you want to support the show, you can either subscribe to us on Twitch if you watch us here, or you can throw bits at us on Twitch. Uh, or we also have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash echoplex. Uh, this is Boomers by Periscope.
Echoplex Media streams seven days a week on twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media. With a variety of hosts and topics, there's bound to be something you'll like or hate so much you can't stop watching it. All times are Pacific. Check out our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com.